Hey everybody, welcome to another glorious episode, episode four of Jeff Has Cool Friends. I am Jeff and I have a cool friend. I'm very excited to bring this very cool friend back to you. This is my first official return guest from the old show that I'll probably get sued if I say the name of. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Who knows what the rules are over there anymore? Uh, but that being said, uh, I'm very excited to have, uh, two years removed since the last episode, uh, almost officially exactly two years. I know it's been that long. The amazing, wow. talented artist, writer, producer, just fantastic all around talent and all around good guy to know Phil Jimenez. Phil, hi. Hi, how are you? How have you been? I'm good. Uh, I'm in a little box. I'm in a soundproof box. I've never done this before. So I'm traveling this weekend. I'm in Cape Cod and I'm working at this really cool community center where I rent some space, set up my iPod, I do my drawings. And then they have these, yeah, these telephone booth size closets where you can go and do Zoom recordings just like this one really? uh, or podcasts or whatever you're going to do. It seems like uh, a secret way of saying masturbation chamber. Well, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, when I turned the corner, I was like, oh, sorry. It was like, as I, I walked into someone in the bathroom stall. Oh, yeah. Right? it's Because there is some glass. So there's there's a row of us. And so when you look in, you're like, oh, you feel like you're invaded. It's like those weird it's, rooms in the library that you never knew people used yes. until you walk by. And you're like, what are you doing in there? Like, and what? technically, it's soundproof. And yet I still feel like I have to whisper. Don't. You should scream. Oh. <laughs> like, who cares? You're not actually at a library. Do whatever you want, man. I can do whatever I want. Where? I think, uh, also, I think I'm going to etch my name on a wall. You should prison carve it. Yeah, for for those, it does look like uh, Phil is in like a gray styrofoam vortex is the best way to describe visually where Phil is uh, right now. <laughs> so you are you are on like a, a sort of pseudo vacation in the Cape. So my bosses shouldn't hear this, but I've been spending a lot of time in Cape Cod the past year working my job in Provincetown, which is the, the very tip of Cape Cod. And I, I've been very into this place for 20 years or so, but I dig this particular place. It's called the Commons. I'm not hawking it. They're not paying me. Uh, but I was here a few years ago and it, um, it was described to me by some people as like an like an art commune. I'm like, that sounds cool. Oh, hell yeah. And it's turned out to be actually a really high-end space. Um, they court artists and like visual artists and uh, actors and directors and all sorts of content creators. Um, and they have multiple levels where there are painting studios. And then I have my own room where I have my drawing set up. So I just hook up my iPad. They have um, other areas for people who are doing graphic design. So it's kind of amazing, especially in this time, to be among a small number, but still actual human beings, a number of other artists like working in a studio space. I would say that Provincetown, for being the small town that it is, would actually <laughs> have a very, very fantastic arts community. Um, I used to uh, summer in Wellfleet. <laughs> oh, and you. so, uh, I mean, at a campground in a camper. <laughs> so when we say summer, but um, Provincetown, for those of you that don't know, is, is historically sort of like the gayest town in America and proudly and wonderfully and gloriously unabashedly be yourself in Provincetown. It is such a blast. If you ever get a chance to go, it is so much. I've never been to a place where people were more honest uh just in existence 
I love that you say that because my favorite thing about being here, and I know nobody's listening to us to talk about a town, but um, I've never felt like more myself than I am here, like more relaxed and just more like, okay, I'm going to do whatever, going to be whatever. But what I like about the town, and then we, I can stop, you know, shilling for it. No, we, this is literally just us talking. Okay. They, well, people know what they're I, paying for. I appreciate for. that. <laughs> uh, but what I do like about the town is it does have this very interesting and long uh, artistic tradition. So like, artists and writers used to come up from New York to Massachusetts in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and it kind of established this art colony in what was otherwise a Portuguese fishing village. And now there's this just really interesting and crazy tradition. It's super gay, but it's also, um, it's really artist-friendly more than anything. And yet it's also a working town. So if you come here, you can you can spend the entire weekend like partying in bars or I think there's something like 90 plus galleries. So you can spend the whole time gallery hopping. Or when I've been coming up here, uh, I've been working in this art community center and, and just speaking again to other graphic designers and artists. And it's actually been really amazing. So uh, it's, it's a good time. I would say that going to Provincetown in my early 20s, because I was probably like 21, 22 when I used so, to go. Last year? Uh, oh, ago. go on with that. Right? Literally almost half my life ago. Um, it's funny because I recognize and understand that who I was when I was 21 is not who I am now. I was relatively progressive, or at least I thought I was. But I still was uneasy around a lot of things. And I still, like, I could have easily gone in the direction of libertarianism. Like, I could have, I could see myself being twisted to go in the wrong direction. And I think the times I spent sort of familiarizing myself with a community that I was not regularly in contact with, I think really helped me sort of push myself towards uh, the general understanding and empathy of just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that it's either right or wrong. It's just you don't get it. Right. And, and that was a great example of seeing, you know, six foot tall, beautiful drag queens on roller skates going around. It's like, well, I've never seen that before. And while my immediate reaction is like, what the f like your first immediate reaction, you're like, oh, this is just people having a good time. And like, nobody's getting hurt. And right. that I think a lot of people really miss out on is the immersion of other communities. And, you know, it's like, like when you try to have your grandma try Indian food for the first time or something like that. And they, what did you have a situation like that? I did. So yeah, um, I want I want you to finish the thought because it's a hugely important thought that you're having. I, I I would say that it is one of those things though that like immersion. Because remember, I I grew up in a small farm town in Massachusetts, ninety six point something percent white. You know, we had you know five churches in this you know population ten thousand town. And that town became very insulated. And a lot of the people that I know that never really left it did not allow themselves to grow as people. They might have grown yeah. their bank accounts or their their intellect of study, but they certainly did not sort of immerse themselves in the ocean of humanity. And so therefore That's a beautiful phrase. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I just came up with it on my own. It's it was good. It's good. I like it. That's why I make the medium bucks. Uh but that that idea of like never getting wet in that world and surrounding yourself with people that view things differently, that believe things differently, that grew up differently, that that grew up with different levels of wealth or understanding, that listen to different music, to not have that 
insulates you in a way that I think can harm you and the people around you in the future. And I do feel that sort of spending my time in Provincetown definitely helped open me up to the more allowing myself to accept everybody for who they are. Whereas my teen self would have been a lot more reactive of like, ooh, that's weird. I probably so would my teen self have mm-hmm. been reactive, right? Like I, you know, I grew up, as you know, in Los Angeles, but went to high school in Orange County, which at the time was super, I mean, it's still conservative, but like that was not a place where my memory is that that was not a place where difference was encouraged, much difference of any kind. That said, I do, I want to spin back to this because one of the things that stuns me about you in like the very best way is it's it's so or it's just stuns me to hear that you think of yourself like that you could have gone in this other direction because you've told me that before but as long as i've known you you were one of the most thoughtful and i would argue empathetic probably to a fault people in my circle right like you are kind and considerate and really thoughtful i think of the world in a way a lot of people are not and a lot of people that um similar to those that you just described would not be and so i'm curious where did that where does that come from uh, i know you were teacher once so there, but go ahead. there's a couple of answers to that uh now that yeah. you're interviewing me on my interview show this is perfect oh, yeah. this is everything i signed up for um i would say our and this ties back to our two our two um immediate connections uh, okay. n- uh number one i uh i think education helped um, yeah. uh, sure. Like getting a higher education, but again, I went to college in Maine. So like, was my education particularly very diverse? Not really. Our first contact was actually when I was in a independent study in college for art. Right. And I emailed you, uh, tracing, fi- um, sort of like what we consider fine art influences through comics artists. And you were one of the people that responded and gave me a very thoughtful thing and helped me get an A in this class. Appreciate you. I was also 21 at the time. I was in one of those situations where I, you know, anytime I was in trouble, I recognized that it was my fault. Uh, I, so that, and I was, um, a boxer at the time I had been training, I had been training police how to fight at some point in time. And so I definitely recognized the like, oh, they're nice to me kind of thing. And I was like, oh, well, every time I get in trouble, it's because I did something wrong. So like, why do you have to worry about the police? For example, if you're not doing anything wrong, which is a very, very myopic viewpoint of that. We first officially met as in having a conversation in 2013. Now, some from in between those areas, I had a job teaching in my hometown, the same insulated hometown that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I had been married, gone through a divorce, turned 30, retired from teaching, moved across the country to a much more diverse city. I worked in entertainment my friends became a much more diverse group. And that's nothing to say against my friends back home because all of my friends back home for the lack of diversity that I have in my friendships, which is not of no fault. I can't blame my town for for the fact I'm like, why didn't I have black friends growing up? It's like, well, there weren't any black kids. Sorry. I I don't know what to tell you. Um, That while, you know, the majority of my friend base when I grew up is is white, they are all wonderful people and all relatively uh, progressive and cool and chill and fun out here. 
um, I got the same quality of people, but with that level of diversity, and that granted me understanding. I still am of two minds about a lot of things that I, I still have instincts that immediately I curtail with my thoughts. So like sometimes I'll see something and react in one way and be like, no, 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 it's not think like, think about it. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, I, I still think I'm not the most progressive person. I try to be, I try to work with empathy. I try to, uh, live my life in a way that I'm causing no harm. I would say the pandemic, um, that backfired on me because my empathy turned to anger for people without empathy. Yes. And oh. I be I became like kind of an mm-hmm. asshole. And the people around me suffered for that. And so that actually ended up sort of being this very sort of judo version of empathy where I my empathy became a, a fault. It became a problem because I was becoming angry at inconsiderate people. And then I had to realize and I was internalizing that and poisoning the people around me with that anger for having no vent having my life crash from that and then being like, well, now I have to rebuild a new thing. And so trying to like build from that. So as much as I appreciate all of those compliments, there's certainly a boomerang aspect to that. But as a reminder, you are one of those people that you just projected onto me of being like very kind and empathetic. I I do appreciate that. Um, I've gone through the same thing the past four years where that empathy has turned to anger, which has turned to sort of toxicity where I, I can sense when I'm just unpleasant in a room and I, I absolutely hate it, but I don't know how to stop it. Right. Like because, it's, it's so awkward yeah. to try to stop it when you know it's <laughs> happened. There have been times where I've, I've said out loud at like an event, I'm like, I think I'm being an hole and I don't want to be. I'm actually going to remove myself from the situation. Yep. And you say that because you're like, oh, I, I, you know, like you're in a moment of clarity. But then in the same time, even that kind of makes you seem like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say the past four years and anyone that follows me on, on social media knows this, um, uh, particularly because my Twitter feed just got heavy and dark and unpleasant and reactive um, and sharp and, and not and not good ways. I think because it was my only, as social media for so many, it was uh, an only method of venting, right? Or expressing uh, anger or distress or dissatisfaction. And I became way more judgmental than I felt comfortable with or intended. But what, what you what you said so specifically was, part of it is just a sense, and I, again, I don't mean to sound self-aggrandizing, but I don't even know if it's empathy, but it's awareness, right? When you're suddenly aware of so much, the ability to turn that down, I think is very, I, I don't have it. So I'm constantly aware, even in the back of my head. So I always say I'm never a hundred percent present in any situation I'm in because I just feel like I'm aware of other stuff. And it's a very strange sensation. I think the last year should be like a mulligan where we should all, I mean, we all have to learn from this, but like, I'm, I'm finding that I am sort of learning to forgive the negative behaviors of the past year, because we were all shouting in the dark. Like we were all living in this, this putrid poison for a year. And those, and the people that weren't were the people that don't care about other people. (laughs) 
right? Like you have to be a damn sociopath to have not felt the hit of last year. And, and you know, I saw it a lot. Like I am an extrovert naturally. Uh, I am a person who gets their energy from other people. And that was removed from me. And so I saw, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, the first couple of months, people that were thriving because they were like just oh, recharging yeah. constantly because they're like, that's what I like. I'm a I'm a writer or I'm an artist and I've been doing this for so long. You know, so many of my very good friends are comics, writers and artists that have been like, oh, this is just this is what I've been doing for the this past 25 day. years. Um, I can't do that. You know, I haven't performed stand up live in over a year. I've forgotten that I love it. It's almost it, like to me, it's almost like a, a breakup that I forgot about where I like want to get back on. But I also don't want to inspire anybody to get sick. So I'm trying to find like, when am I going to be comfortable getting back onto that stage? And like, will I Ugh. even remember my material? That's uh, uh, you'll, you'll forgive the pause because that's uh, so I was having this conversation with friends this morning uh a friend who's a social worker who's here with me now we were just talking about it's so fascinating because it was about social responsibility uh and kind of the myth of individual freedom or maybe not a myth but but the the, the conflict inherent in that right when um when you don't have a sense that you are responsible for anyone else and you almost pride yourself on on that sensibility that way of thinking like um you take care of you, I'll take care of me, and that's how it's going to go. And it's it's an alien way of thinking to me. It's also a very frustrating way. It's inhuman. Anger. Yes. But one of the things that's been very interesting to me, and I think about this when it comes to the business that we're in, right, sort of entertainment, but also like the, the stories we're telling, the characters we're using, the messaging, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one of the things the past four years particularly, uh, and then certainly the last year, really made me think about was sociopathology generally um, or lack of empathy and how how we learn empathy and what it felt like was as we know like a third of the country maybe even more just doesn't have it right like they don't have it and might not even be interested in it that's like, the that's the problem that's the furious the infuriating part right there yeah. and i was waiting for you to drop that one is that they're not interested in developing a conscience these no, are the people that are not. like, I support my family. I'm a good person. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's just that's just part of life. That's just part right. of what you have to do to be a minimum. Yeah. Right? Like that's, you're, you're just you're doing what you're supposed to. Um, and so for me, being a creator of fiction, we've talked about this before, but also like a a creator who works with it when heroic ideals, grappling with what with our responsibility uh, to each other but also dealing with the fact that there are, it's not, it's not rare. There are a lot of people who don't care about other people. I would add that many of them are nerds in the comic book sector that have never learned a lesson from anything they've ever read. Apparently there, there is absolutely that. I, I got, I remember that there were times where I was told in no uncertain terms you can't speak about politics because essentially like racists are going to spend money on these superhero characters. Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh, but I don't think they understand. Like, why would they get a captain America thing? Like, why would anybody who is 
an anti-masker or an anti like or 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 pro-Trump, why would they pay money for a Captain America toy? Because that defeats the entire point. That means you've never learned anything about this character that you say you love. And that blows my mind. Uh, I mean, this, as you know, constant conversation among peers and on, on Twitter, but about what readers learn from these characters, particularly the sort of mainstream, and I say mainstream, like the corporate superheroes who represent, I mean, who baked into their your caps, DNA. your caps, your Iron Man's, your Superman's, right, your right, Batman's, right, your Wonder Woman's. Like, that's part of who they are. Like just on paper, if you were to write, you know, check boxes, that's who they are. And so, so the resistance to that and is is boggling. It really makes. I, I feel like it was Mark Wade um, who said he was really struggling. I think it was him with how long he'd been in the business and coming to realize how half his audience was not getting what he was writing. Yeah. Th there's a good example of that. I think, I think a good example and, and, and only because I had to spend about 16 hours total watching this film was the Snyder cut of, of um, justice league. When wonder woman straight up murders the dude that she prevents from killing every, from setting off the bomb. And then she explodes this dude, destroying the building in the process. And I'm like, Oh, see, that's not what wonder woman would do. <laughs> Like there is a zero, like, how do you, and they're like, that was awesome. And it's like, that's not the character. Like, like you can't say that this is the definitive version of the character. If the character is just murdering dudes that she doesn't have to murder. Right. It's just, it's just weird to me that there are people that just explicitly revel in the fact that they don't get it. Like they don't want well, to interpret. It's so surface for them. It's very surface, but I've come to realize, and this goes to the, our larger, larger conversation about empathy, perhaps education, but I think there are a lot of educated people who are sociopaths about, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought, but how surface so much entertainment is to people. And that's something that's, I think because, um, because when I was a kid, I was by myself so much. I looked to that stuff and I took everything I could. I th that's all I thought about were the cartoons and comics and TV and toy, like all, all that pop culture stuff. I mean, I just devoured it partly, you know, it was escape. It was a, a place for my brain to go, but even at, at, at young ages, uh, I was contemplating what it meant, like what the words meant. Right. Like uh, why I, would I, they I make those choices? Yes, I've told the story so, so many times, but I, when I first met Walter Simonson, I was telling him about a Star Wars story that meant so much to me, and it was, I believe it was issue 53 of the original Marvel Comics run, and uh, it was the second part of To Take the Tarkin, and the Rebellion blew up a, 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 an Empire base, and the very end, C-3PO is like, Princess Leia, why aren't you happy? Like, we, we just defeated the bad guys. And she goes on to talk about how you know, well, we just blew up a lot of people and they're all dead and they probably had families and some of them might have just been doing their jobs, et cetera. And something in the language of that, and I was 10, 11 when I read that, like affected my worldview to this day, right? Like it had such impact on me because it was a perspective I'd never, like I'd never even thought about because we would see these huge explosions in these movies, but not really think about what they meant. Yeah, right? it became, and, I think Clerks really sort of brought that to the mainstream of the understanding with the Star Wars. You know, I mean, obviously the comic was the comic, but 
you know, a few years later when, when Kevin Smith sort of dissects that whole concept of, of, of the, you know, are there innocent people on the Death Star? <laughs> you know, are there contractors? Are there contractors, right? Like and in, in that environment where they just trying to pay, like get, you know, get the job done to pay their family, right? Which I think what's really interesting to me about that is I was 10 and that helped shape my worldview. I think other people wouldn't, don't even remember the scene. Like, like they wouldn't even, it wouldn't even occur to them. And so it just really makes me interested in how people use what they take from information, uh, from entertainment generally, how they process that information. And when it comes to things like these characters, we talk about this, you and I have talked about this so many times, superheroes particularly have kind of a moral and ethical code. And I, I do wonder like how often people dissect their own. I mean, I, I have to sort of like, I, there are things that I understand that like, I have to exist within an ethical thing. And then some things that I choose to sort of ignore. Um, they're like, for, ex for example, like I, I bought a small amount of cryptocurrency just cause I was like, it would be nice to make a little bit of money. Right. And I've, I've met, I've, you know, I've made a lot, not a lot, but I've made money. I've like doubled my money. Sure. Fine. Okay. I recognize and understand that cryptocurrency has a economic foot uh, or an ecological footprint that is not good. Um, and in the meantime, I refuse to um, use Amazon. I will not do it. I steal a Prime account so I can watch things. Sorry, but I will not give them money. I will not pay them to destroy the world. It's just right. they're not um, and, and to torture their their workers. Um, I won't do it. I won't eat at Chick-fil-A, which is like, sorry, but. I can eat a sandwich at Popeye's and it's the same thing sure, or, or something sure. like that. But I, I do sort of like have to understand that there is, there are levels of hypocrisy because there's no such thing as like a clean, you know, our hands are never fully clean. We live, never. In, a, we live in America. Like here's the thing. I wouldn't even claim that they were, I wouldn't even, yeah. I, I'm so far from like being, being ethically clean. What I think is really interesting though, more is, is the concept of just making the world a better place, right? Not 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 making it perfect, but making it a little bit better. And if there's anything I've taken from working with these characters for so long, is that's what they're attempting, the characters I like, that's what they're attempting to do. That's what Spider-Man's attempting to do, is make the world a little bit better. Just right? a little bit. I, right, I, just a little bit. I think that's good. And I think we're gonna I'm gonna hit on that in a second. What I do want to do right now is take a half a second to give a shout out to all of the producers at the $10 level of my Patreon. And if you are listening on Patreon, thank you very much. I have a few names, Phil, that I'm gonna read off to you. These are the people that were so kind, they were kind enough to uh to pay extra just to have me say their name on here. Oh, and then they okay. send me silly names. Again, these are the names that I have been given. If you did not give me a name this week, make sure you get those to me so I can make sure to give you that credit. I want you to feel like you have earned every damn dime that you have given me. Uh, first and foremost, and Phil, you can react to it however you want. We have Kool-Aid Molotov. Oh, yeah. Yes. Lemming Malloy. Uh, these seven Bs. Miguel Acuna. Nolan Matten. Cronenberger, Grumblebee, Mike Gotts, Instagrams at Bob underscore of underscore skull. That's a good that's a good way to do it, I think. That's Just plug one. your Insta plug your Instagram. He's an art collector. I'm sure he's probably contacted you in the past. Saint Gut Free, Funky J, David Knifeboot Hinson, Fushizless Jones, JK, Jeff May's biggest fan. 
Dill Havarti. That's my favorite cheese, by the way. In case you were wondering, if you're looking, thinking about Christmas gifts for me, just it's Dill Havarti. Jolly Buckaroo, Normal Man, Andrew McGuire, Vortispin, Norm from Cheers, Shebrew Sleeps, The Ghost of Dave Thomas. Ooh, an adopted ghost. Uh, Sophia Hapgood, Russell Richardson's Twitter, at Hello Tardis. Show me in the rules where it says a dog can't play basketball. Uh, they're probably in the rules, if I can be honest. I, I would assume that there is a rule for that. Murph the Murph, Dan Hackroyd, Boner Bonanza, oh, Mackenzie Willem Defoe's baffling big Boner Bonanza chill, at Nerd Numbers, Ricky Cilantro, Gray Man of the Fireside, Andrew doesn't even like sports, Lef, The AV Foundry, Gregorio, Captain Fat Strong, Jessica Robertson, at Gavin underscore not, that's with two T's, Cody Beck, Billy, quote, I stole Cody's last name and there's nothing she can do about it, Beck. Mind Freak, 555, Taurus Bulba, Huey, Lisa Harden, Rudy Rueda, Burrito Mouth, Dr. DNA, Silius Ruby, Kelly Stanaway, Adrienne, I didn't kill my wife. DavyFrancis.com, the most well-prepared dead guy, Jennifer Fendelander, Bart Fartigan, I'm the law, martial law, and I hate superheroes. It's going to be a rough one for you. Uh, uh, Lemming Malloy, did I say him? How about this? This is a good, I love this one. The 1993 Marvel masterpiece of Spider-Woman. Oh. Do you remember that? Do you remember that card? I don't. It was by, uh, I believe it was by Tristan Shane, I want to say was the artist. I love to remember this. It is a beautiful piece and you should definitely check it out. I do love that piece. So excellent choice. Okay. Um, I'm more tired than a big bat. Uh, Scoundrel. Kimball, the fully sanctioned buffoon. I have a couple that uh, may I may have I may be a repeat proto clown capable of withstanding both shoes. Uh, Russell from Jersey Pizza Bagels, Taylor Ham, Bold and Brash, more like belongs in the trash. Logan Rarisich. Hi, I'm Super Fudge, and welcome to Fudgemania. Craft beers make my alcoholism look like a neat hobby. William Dustis, Willie Dustis, excuse me. Jez Butt, Gray Men of the Fireside, the Ian McClendon, El Seldo, and Exploding Runes. And I recognize and understand that I may have repeated a couple of them, but I don't want to f- this up. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a couple people um bail on their on their their Patreon their patrons cuz and they were like they didn't give me what I asked for and I was like did you send me a name so I, I just want to make sure I get all of them covered because oh. I can't afford to lose any patrons uh, That's like a that's that's pretty hardcore I mean they're paying the extra money for me to say their name and if I don't do it and it's a bi-weekly show for now I get it I mean, I guess, but like, you know, I sent one of the guys a message, be like, Hey man, I'm so sorry. I try. I, I, I might've missed it. And if there's anything I can do, you know, obviously don't feel like you have to come back, but just, you know, I appreciate you giving me the, and just never replied. Wow. It's fine. It's fine. I, I, pre, I mean, I appreciate anybody even taking the clicking on it to, to say, Hey, for a second, like for sure. For pa- sure. Patreon literally saved me like and the people on here so like i f- with them pretty hard and i'm gonna do everything i can to make through um i actually think it's awesome but that's very you by the way it's very you to do that to what to make money off of people donating to me uh, i Agreed. would say to honor to honor your obligations it's very you i mean i'd say that's just good business like i understand the obligations aspect of it but there is the good business aspect of like if they remove themselves from it like you know, patrons, sure. I'm still figuring this out. This is a hard, it's hard. Like I see some of the other, like, uh, you know, when I think of like, uh, you know, the unpopular opinion 
Patreon that I, I've been a part of and, and gamefully unemployed and stuff. And mostly I've been doing just, you know, the recording and stuff like that. But doing right. one on your own is not easy. So shout out to everybody that runs one successfully, because this is really hard. I've been amazed at the number of my former students. I remember first learning at Patreon, I was actually embarrassed. I was in a classroom, I was teaching. And so um, all my students, what I'd like to get them to do is verbalize their post-college dreams. So I tell them I had the good fortune of starting, I started working comics the summer after my sophomore year of college. But I also knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was so driven and so specific um uh so i was able to i was able to articulate my dreams and kind of go for them other people it's a little more nebulous and what i what i'd like them to do is articulate them verbalize them in a way of sort of kind of a new agey way of making them work uh, a little bit closer to reality right like by having to say it out loud it's a step it's the secret okay it's the secret it's a secret right yeah. right, right um and then, but it's also something you can pin on the wall and be like, that's what you're aiming for, right? So always remember that's what you're aiming for. And I, I do like to keep it short term because life changes dramatically. But like, what's your ideal job after college? Like, what? how do you want to see your work displayed? Blah, 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 blah. And so many, many of my students have very specific ideas. Some are just like, I just want to make art. Um, one was just like, I'm just going to make art. I'm going to put it on Patreon. And I'm going to sell it. And I didn't know what you, I didn't even know what that was. This was like 10 <laughs> years ago, nine years ago. And it's like, oh, and I never had someone tell me this before. Most of the, most of the students had a publisher in mind or a movie studio or a game studio. They had something. Mm-hmm. And this guy, his whole goal was he just wanted to put art on Patreon and have people pay for it. And I was like, okay, well, good luck with that. I mean, I didn't, I did not dismiss it because you just never know in this world. But in my head, I think that's what I was thinking. So if only I knew. Here's what I'll tell you about Patreon and the shift of that is that I am now officially my own boss on this specific show. Right. I am not beholden to the corporate trappings that I was previously, which I want to say I loved the job that I had previously. Yeah, I really did. There was a certain prestige that I got from there. Uh, a lot of people wanted to do the show just because they liked the company that I worked for. But I wasn't allowed to be my full self. Mm-hmm. I, I was given a lot of a lot of leeway, probably more leeway than I should have had. Um, but there were certain rules that I was never allowed to violate. Um, and and in turn, my my private uh, life and social media ended up uh, sort of proving that, um, <laughs> which is it's it is what it is. Um, the fact that I get to be my own boss is awesome. Uh, the work that I have now, you know, like when I talk, when I, when I think about like, cause it used to be like, I record the show, I would send it off to super producer, Sam, and he would make this beautiful, this amazing, you know, project that he would throw together. And, and I tried piecing all that together and I'm like, man, this is a fucking nightmare. Like there are so many better, more talented people that made me look good. Whereas I'm like, well, I just talk. And that there's something to be said about like owning your own shit. I get to be myself. And if somebody's like, I don't like that you said something about Trump, I'll be like, great, f- off forever. Right. I don't want your fandom. Eat my entire f-. And I can say that, which I couldn't say before. Um, and I think a lot of people m- miss the point of that, where 
in fandom that they think that they're they have this customers always right sort of uh vibe in fandom and and i don't i think my fans are not like that i think they're very my fans are super super supportive and understanding um but i think fans of like comics in general they'd be like oh good luck (laughs) and it's just like off yeah i you you know you don't get to describe decide how fiction travels sure i have a question about this and i think we've talked about this before yeah this talk that we all have about fandom right and toxic fandom Mm-hmm. did that always exist and i was just oblivious to it before twitter I, I think we get to see it more yeah it's always pretty much existed i think um a good example might be sort of the the michael keaton batman casting and the people that were all angry about that um you could see it in letters columns sometimes i mean remember stan lee did that stan soapbox about when people were sending him letters complaining about their progressive policies and he was just like yeah, you're going to get those. Right. Sorry. We believe in actual justice, which uh, for all of Stanley's uh, failings, uh, that was a huge thing to do, because I believe that was in like the late 60s. Oh, yes. And uh, and so good for him for sort of um, fighting back against uh, sort of regressive ideas. Toxic fandom has always existed. It has become more prevalent and they have found their tribe. It used to be. You would find your toxic fans being toxic in the comic shop, and it was a relatively insulated place, but it also created it to be a not-so-safe space. Remember, comic shops weren't always considered warm and welcoming the way they are now. Which which is strange, because I worked at a comic store when I was from 15 to 20 in Huntington Beach, um, Comics Unlimited, and it What's so weird in hindsight, I would love to interview the people that I worked with looking back on it because the staff was almost entirely women. Uh, and I would be very, very curious. There were, there were, there were a group of guys. As a matter of fact, uh, my, as a bizarre side segue, the cast of Otherworld, uh, my creator on book, those characters were all based on people that I worked with. I mean, there were there were extrapolations. I mean, they, they're they're nothing like them, but they all started. The root of each of those characters started with someone I worked with at, a, at the comic shop um, for in those five years. Um, but the, the reason I bring it up is, of course, I was you know a young teenage boy, so I don't I don't remember it any particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, other that's where I met Adam Hughes and Jim Lee for the first time. But <laughs> um, I would be we just, there were so many women working there. And I had a, I had a woman manager, um, Nancy. I would, I would love to get their take on, on toxic. I'm saying mostly, I'm assuming a lot of it's male fandom. And if it existed there in the same way it did other comic shops, because I think they created a very safe space for consumers. Nancy was like dedicated to it. And the front of the store was all like product that had, that was pop culture product, but not, you know, it was posters and T-shirts and keychains and all sorts of things just to get people in because she wanted people to come in from the street. She didn't mm-hmm. want just uh, comic book nerds to come in from the street. So my comic shop was very sick. The one that I worked at was very successful for a very similar reason is that the majority of their money came in through um, secondary sort of byproducts of comics yeah. as well as um, used DVDs and video games. That was like oh, the big, th- like DVDs vi- and video games, especially vintage video games. 
like we would get Nintendos and just ro- like they would just roll out classic Super Nintendos and like people would just yard sale their shit to us and then we would sell it back. Um, and that got a lot of people in. Um, I would say my experience as a uh, man nearing his 30s when I had that job was that the women were uh, oftentimes in our and granted we were in the city of Worcester which uh you know yeah. is not i would i would say not the most progressive of the pro- you know Massachusetts is a, a ridiculously progressive state but not on an individual basis right right um and that we would get a lot of like you know our female employees would get sort of like asked out all the time they would get sort of you know what the what do you know vibe about comics which also i got I had to deal with a lot of the, oh, what do you know about Batman? I'd be like, so much more than you. I don't know why you're treating me like an <laughs> just because I'm here. I used to, I used to get just, you know, like, cause I don't, I didn't look like the stereotype. And so I would, yeah. I would oftentimes get sort of like reverse bullied <laughs> a little bit. And I was like, I don't know what you want from me, man. I'm holding a stack of West coast Avengers in my hand. I feel like I know what I'm doing. Um, it's funny to say that really quick. Uh, so West Coast Avengers, when it became Avengers West Coast, was because the owner of my comic store called up Marvel because he wanted to rack the Avengers books together. It was like, you need to rename this. And so Avengers West Coast, West Coast Avengers became Avengers West Coast for racking purposes, thanks to the guy that owned my comic book store. That's bananas because if I was Marvel, I would have said, just everyone will get it. Just put it next to Avengers. Well, it's funny because his store, I think at the time, because there were like three or four of them, they were big money makers at the time oh, for, yeah. for um, uh, the comic companies. And we rocked everything alphabetically. And I remember, God, there used to be like discussions about like having action comics not next to Superman, right? Like, why didn't you clump like comics together? I think the argument was because because you might stumble onto something like here's action, but and you might stumble onto adventure, you know, but right. Deadpool on your way over to Superman and like not know anybody. Right. So it was, I think it was a, a way of thinking about how people consume and sort of kind of like, you know, on record shops, I remember hearing this like tower records. Like the idea was you just wanted to look through stuff, like go through the racks of DVDs and things like that. Uh, or, 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 albums whatever you're looking through because you might stumble onto something and one of the interesting things about um curated uh, sort of digital zones uh particularly when it comes to things like itunes is that you don't stumble onto things so easily because that, they, they're making assumptions about what you like based on previous purchases that's fair although i would say that I don't know. I'm sure it had its way of working, racking the comics like that. I mean, this is 1985, mind you. Yeah, I, I would say, like, from a realistic perspective, anybody who's going at the comics racks are probably going to be perused. I've never seen somebody go to a shop, go just to like, oh, got my detective comics, I'm going to leave. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that. I think every person at a comic shop, it browses all the racks. Right. Um, and then I would say that it does the opposite of, like, you know, if you want all your Spider-Man, you know, if you want your Spider-Man fans to to see that you can get amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, web of Spider-Man and just Spider-Man when they're all next to each other. And in that sort of like secondary alphabetical order, usually with like a sign, I think we always would have signs like here's the Superman stuff. Here's the Batman I think stuff. We did, my memory is that we did that, too, that there were yeah. in other rocks. They were like the big 
So if it's Detective Comics or if it was the Superman line or whatever, the Spider-Man line, I think we also clumped them together so you could just come and get all that once. But this is neither here nor there. It's not particularly interesting. It's uh, it is interesting. We could talk about the, we could all talk about the minutia of organize of the organization of retail comic shops and they're racking all they want. Except I do have a couple of projects that I need to talk to you about. Um, except I need to interrupt you very quickly and apologize to your readers. I've gotten so one thing that's happened in the past year because I've gotten very bad at these things. Like actually, the past couple of years. I end up finding that the stuff that nobody cares about is the stuff that I wanted to. I'm one of those creators now that just wants to talk about the stuff nobody cares about. Like Legion of Superheroes. Oh, that was I'm awful. Can I can I tell you something? I was because wow. on Tom and Jeff watch Batman. We I tried to explain to my co-host Tom like sort of like what Legion of Superheroes is, and I was like, okay, it's the thing that all comics creators love, and like nine fans love. Uh, which is like a that's not true. There was a period of time in the eighties that was the second biggest book. Sure, I'm just saying. And then every reboot since has has bailed with some of the greatest writing teams and and creative teams out there. When you look at, I believe the most recent one was with Bendis and Ryan Sook, and people were just like, eh. like they just didn't well, care. Because, because six reboots later, why do you care? I mean, part of that, I think, is I'm sorry, I'm a big Legion fan. Go for it. I know, I know well, you yeah. are, which is why I brought it up. Right. But this is, I think, a larger problem with comics generally, like mainstream, I'm talking mainstream corporate superhero comics. When you're on your sixth reboot in, what, 15 years, who gives a right? Lots of people because when it's like Batman or Superman. People Batman are still... has never been rebooted. Batman hasn't been rebooted really since 1986. New fifty, new fifty-two. There was no most of Batman's history remained. The solid. general consensus of the it, idea, because you can't erase, you can't erase Thomas and Martha Wayne getting killed in the alley, blah blah blah. But I would say that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's new fifty-two version of Batman was a, a, a an amazing way of telling it that sort of didn't necessarily lean too heavily on what came before it but built a but, but new still, version I, of it i still would argue that's not like it doesn't anytime those guys wanted to they could have gone back to stuff and pulled it out it would have been in canon for example sure but that's like it, Je it, what it, jeff johns did with green lantern when new 52 started and he's like well i'm just going to keep doing the thing i wanted uh, right. and and this is a whole interesting conversation mm -hmm. about reboots generally because things like green lantern and batman if the, the popular books don't reboot so the rest of the reboot doesn't matter. Regardless, even if you only have, say, most things over a long period of time, you get a cleanup. But like I always say, the Batman Green Lantern they were dusted off. They were not, they were not rebuilt from the ground up, like conceptually. Well, they didn't rebuild Legion, the engine, but they did the body over. Okay, I think <laughs> it's we fine. disagree on what. No, it's, I'm just saying. I think maybe yeah. we disagree on what a reboot is. Okay, but the thing, but the thing with Legion is that each of those, the, the Legion that was most successful. I argue it was successful because I had a point of view about the future, about teenagers, about heroism, et cetera, that resonated at the time. I actually argue that the biggest problem with the reboots is its point of view that is, is not, aside from the fact that once you're in the sixth or seventh, three, sixth reboot, I think, there's no, there's no sense that it's going to matter anyway because it's going to be rebooted in a couple of years, so who cares? But if you... If it does, the point of view, I think, really matters. And no matter the creative team, I would say that a lot of it does rely on having to make people care about the characters and want to continue reading about them. And there's something about the Legion 
that just doesn't appeal to modern fans the way it did to fans in the 80s, for example. It was the Paul Levitz run, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which was an extension of a, of a, I mean, that was ultimately a 30-year run that he just yes. had a really good time on. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something about that book. And the reason I brought it up is because it is this creator favorite book. It's this book that so many creators love, but when you, if you were to ask fans, it's just this kind of thing that people are like, meh, like they're like, I'll give it a try. Like I, and I bought the, the Legion reboots. Like I bought the books and started reading them. And I think the reason that you have to sort of do like more of a harder reboot is because you need to familiarize people with this cast of characters that were previously doing well on a 30 year run. And, and then it like, it became a relic. The Legion of Superheroes became this lost relic of like of existence where people are like, oh, I think I remember what that it wasn't there like a bouncing guy or, or like th- there it was almost this like very weird silver age snapshot that people it's like a fever dream that you have to reintroduce people to. And I just don't think the modern audiences are that interested in learning about them, which I'm not saying is good or bad. I'm no, just saying I just it's disagree, a fascinating. So the why they're not interested? That's fair, but you're just, you're also just, a huge fan. Yes, but I'm also I think I'm a fan who's worked in the industry and who's seen that. That's... I I just don't think multiple reboots in you're going to get anyone to care. Like if, in my perfect Legion world, you would let that property rest for ten years. You would not. Because I just think that, that because every time you try and fail, it makes it look more like a failure and people are become even less interested in it. Yeah, I wonder if the 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 futuristic part of it is just like I wonder if people view it as like camp at this point in time, but not w- worth the the cover price of a comic these days for that camp. Well, the, the other thing I think is I. Uh, and so I admittedly am not a fan of most reboots because I don't like its perspective on the future because the future seems so now. And the thing that I used to love about yeah. the Legion was that it felt like the future. And so there, and a lot of it had to do with it. It's a, it's a science fiction book. It's, it's also, yeah, the idea of a utopian future is almost laughable in 2021. Like where we think about like the way we've sort like back in the day when like boomers were in charge, they had the idea of a utopian future because they didn't really consider what they were doing to the planet. Where nowadays, if any book is covering the future, good luck making it utopian and having anybody believe it. Well, that the second part is the interesting thing because I've had long conversations about Levitz's with Levitz about his views of the future, which were rooted in a very specific ideology which is kind of fascinating and it makes me wonder about the creators of the like the past three reboots what their ideology about the future was the levitt's legion run has this sort of like world's fair optimism it's like epcot optimism where you'd see like that the future has this very sort of like jetsonsy utopian quality while they are sort of and like a lot of times with the legion they were dealing with problems in the past from the future i saw that I, a lot I, I i i think yeah well again you're as you pointed out i'm a fan i actually think i disagree with that like of those eight years i actually think most of it took place in the future but i also think it had a lot to do with paul's take on like what villainy was his take on how we're going to get to the 30th century 
right? So like, and I think I think there are interesting things about a modern audience. Like I would, uh, believing that we will ever get to a 30th century, which I don't think they actually probably do. I think they will probably die as a species yeah. in the next hundred yeah, years. The, if Legion of Superheroes but, was done now, they'd be like, it's 2035. And that's as far right, exactly. as we're going to look forward to. But Paul had a very interesting take on how he, but like what he believed we would need as a species to get to a 30th century utopia. Um, and he also chose actively to make his villains characters who embodied certain science fiction concepts um and again like for better or worse i think it resonates with fans like my age because it was such a specific vision and the thing about legion that has has always struck me as a fan of that material is i always feel like i'm reading about a super team that doesn't need to be in the future fair um like there's no reason those characters if the, if, the, if the future this is one of those few times where i would say the world building matters. Like normally I think when, when you're talking about creati creativity, the characters and the emotions that the characters give are the most important thing. And Legion is one of those few places where I think the world itself uh, informs the, the characters. Uh, I like that. All I done. like that's a, fre that's a fresh take and I like it. Good, good. All done. It's good. Um, I have two projects that I want to talk to you about, and then I want to I want to sort of discuss a, a question from the the two projects. Because um, the first thing that I want to say, uh, June I believe is uh, Pride Month, correct? Yes. All right. Good. Good job. I'm an ally. Uh, uh, June is Pride Month, and you have been posting these amazing uh, Pride variants that you've been drawing from Marvel, featuring uh, many of the LGBTQ plus characters of the Marvel yes. universe. Um, you've been sharing them. I believe we've seen um, Wiccan and Hulkling. We've seen, I think, most recently you shared Mystique. Uh, you did a North Star at one point in time. Uh, Valkyrie. Right. Um, yes. These are fantastic, by the way. Um, do you you obviously signed up for this project, so you are very much behind Marvel doing these or is it just a really good paycheck? Um, but it was sort of my my I wanted to talk to you about sort of like corporate versions of pride. Oh, and sure. and and if you feel that. And I don't know if we've actually officially discussed this, but you are, I, I think, uh, famously known, like sort of uh, one of the first openly out uh, comics creators uh, in in the industry. I, th I don't think uh, it was ever really hidden, uh, which is is fantastic and wonderful and uh, so brave. Uh, and I and I do mean that. That wasn't meant to sound condescending the way I feel like it might have. Um, that was great. But like, so like, Obviously, you're participating in this, so you are supporting the project. Um, do you feel that um, Pride has been sort of corrupted in uh, with corporate versions, or do you feel that it has sort of allowed sort of the mainstreaming of acceptance to come through, or is it a little like because I I feel like sometimes it's it comes off pandering, and then sometimes it comes off like yeah, but it's also giving you know, Target doing this makes a lot of people that would shop at Target have to consider the reality of different people. Um, how do how do you sort of view that level of, of involvement with pride and corporations? God, that's a, that's a multi-layered question. Is that too I much? Is that too much for like a, po a podcast where we have maybe 15 minutes Are you left? kidding? I mean, we just talked for 15 minutes about the Legion and, <laughs> you know, 
how to rock. I spent too much on matter eater lad. I don't have enough. No, no, that was actually great. Um, I'm just trying to think. So one of the things I think is really interesting about Marvel is, you know, back when I was racking West Coast Avengers as Avengers West Coast, uh, you couldn't even use the word gay in those comics, right? Like when I worked at that comic store and Alpha Flight was out uh, and Northstar was in that book, like he was, he was a closet. I mean, he wasn't closeted. The character was closeted. Um, mean by Marvel itself like in those comics what I still think is amazing that John Byrne got away with is he totally is gay if you know the subtext right but like John Byrne had to get around Jim Shooter's no gay rule now suddenly 30 years later you know it's like pink covers with gay couples on them you know celebrating you know as part of a, a larger sort of corporate celebration of a of a of an event meant to, you know, that, that started, you know, with the Stonewall riots and now has ended in this giant parade. Um, so I myself am just kind of like, wow, that's some history, right? Took some time, but that's pretty great. Um, and our biggest, our biggest argument on this covers, which is hilarious, was how pink they should be. Because I really wanted them for a variety of reasons. Like I wanted uh, the, the covers I've been sharing had the original pink design because I wanted for, for racking purposes, because I still think like I work in a comic store, <laughs> um, but also thematic ones, I wanted their backgrounds to be pink, right? Because I liked the idea, quite frankly, because pink is a loaded color, especially hot sort of, um, as my friends call it, RuPaul pink. And I liked the idea <laughs> of the average comic person, comic consumer, in my head, mostly male, buying comics with like hot pink covers. Like I thought that was just kind of great. Um, and that was a back and forth and back and forth for the longest because they wanted to do a rainbow cover. And I was just like, I, I just didn't want that because I. It kind of um, seems like you might need to be like, all right, calm down. I, like they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Well, it was, well, what I found out, interestingly enough, through another conversation was that some, uh, some gay folks at Marvel d- didn't like the color pink, right? Like they did, they, I don't know if it was aesthetically professionally, politically, or from a marketing standpoint. And so it's funny the amount of back and forth that we had over this one color. Um, that said, uh, my editor, Emily Newsom on the book, was like, could not have been, had been more supportive and more helpful and kind of caught between this go sort of back and forth about a color cover for Pride, right? Like, like how funny is this that this... No, now we're not arguing about characters being out or gay characters being couples. We're arguing about like the back, their like how pink should their background color be? That to me is just kind of mind blowing, right? Like, yeah. it's sort of sort of funny. So are the... I, I think what was oh, more ahead. interesting, if I can just finish, no, go ahead. was the corporate list of who, which characters to showcase. Because I was like, when I said yes to this, like months ago, I was like, okay, sure. Um. And I was like, it's all figures, you know, there's no backgrounds, this will be easy work. And I, it's, it's, a, it's a fun event, I get to draw characters and we're drawn before, but I was throwing out these names and when they returned the list, I was like, oh, this is not nearly as comprehensive as I would have expected. And part of it was, I'm assuming it's because their characters are relate to their cinematic universe in some way, mm-hmm. like, or, or, or that they have plans or vision for. Valkyrie, for example, the, the, the new Valkyrie, I think it's based on the T- Tessa Thompson version mm-hmm. in, in the Thor movies. So 
that was more interesting to me than any other part of it was who they chose to showcase on these covers. That's going to be my question is like, do you have a, a, a list? I mean, I, I know we saw obviously North Star and Valkyrie, I believe uh, was Dakin one of them. Yes. Yes. Uh, a lot of characters. This also goes to show like that I'm not as connected to the world as I thought I was where I was like, I had no idea. I know, I think you did a, a Felicia Hardy, a black cat. Black cat, which I think was my first professional. I've drawn her in, in sketches and commissions a lot. I don't think I've ever actually drawn, I don't remember ever drawing her professionally. <laughs> so that was kind of great. Uh, so it was, it was a- uh, Moon yeah, dragon. Moondragon, yes. Oh, that yeah. was that was crazy to me to see that you did Moondragon. I was like, man, I haven't seen that character in quite some time. <laughs> Well, which also makes me think, I wonder if she's going to be like in the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I'm like, why is she here? She's not one of the more prominent LGBT characters. Like, what's the deal? And it made me think there must be some corporate reason for it. I have a feeling that it's not the worst idea in the world to create an Infinity Watch. Seeing as how I know we have Adam Warlock coming and Guardians 3 coming out in 2023. I think. Oh, is I, think, it three? I think it's I think it's like in in early 2023. When is the Marvels coming out? Uh, the I think they just announced that it's a new Captain Marvel with Miss Marvel. Yes. And... Uh, you know, I, I may have missed it, but I know James Gunn recently said that they had a date and it was like, come, you know, it's a lot sooner than we thought. It's going to be early 2023. And I remember somebody's right. like 2023 is early. And he's like, do you not know what we're doing? Like, do you not know how hard it is to make a movie? Have you heard of movies? They take a while, man. Do you remember when movies took three years and now we're like, get them out, get them out, get them out. Well, well, it's like we have them. We have so many of them coming out that like they're still taking that long. It's just we forgot. We got distracted with Ant-Man and the Wasp and didn't realize that they've been working on Endgame for two and a half years already because Ant-Man and the Wasp is showing up. Right. Right. And you're like, Oh yeah, there's sort of the, there's that wonderful distraction. Are there any characters from the um, LGBTQ covers that we haven't said or any that haven't been revealed? America Chavez was also one of them. I believe. America Chavez was one. Iceman was there. Doc was there. Uh, let's see. Valkyrie, Mystique, Moondragon, Wicked Hulking, um, there were nine total. Copy that. That covers it. North Star, North Star, um, which I joke about. I joked on, on Instagram. I drew him like he knew he was going to get photographed and had just gotten done with the Botox, which is my favorite. <laughs> very smooth. I, to- I told the colorist to color him very smooth. I, I um, do yeah. like, I do like that because that, that vanity he does sort of right, have right. that. He walks with that vanity of of being just a a fantastic character. Like what a, what a wonderful he was also, character to he be. He's also an Olympic skier. Like he was a celebrity. So Cheater. Like, he's, he's he's getting his touch ups. He was cheating. Can't have oh, that's you right. can't have powers like that and be an Olympic. Sh- <laughs> that would make you know it would be very interesting. I think now, especially because and boy, did I not want to make this aggressively political, but. You know, we see a lot about um, trans women competing in sports and people claiming yeah. that there's the advantage, the unfair advantage. And 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 two arguments of very viable, 
you know, understandings. And this is where, like, I, you know, when I, I say, like, I, I am very progressive. And also it's like, yeah, I do see both sides on that one. Um, situations. I'm wondering if the allegory will be made at some point in time of superheroes engaging or people with powers engaging competitively and having that sort of um, advantage oh. because of how they were born um, being utilized. I, I wonder if that, that would, it seems like it would be like a one shot, like something you'd hear of in like an, in like an issue of tangled web or something like that. But, but I had forgotten that actually was a character. That was a beat of North star's early history, right? Was that he cheated. Like he used his powers, I think to become a champ. Like, like it wasn't an accident. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, Which I mean, I gotta be honest. I haven't read alpha flight in quite some time. Oh, I, I, I have to go back and read. I mean, that that burn stuff is probably some of my favorite comic stuff of all time. But um, that's actually really interesting. Well, this goes into uh, uh, again, totally spinning. But I just, I've been, I just started rewatching. My boyfriend decided, who my boyfriend is not into this stuff at all. Decided, out of the goodness of his heart, he was going to rewatch. He was going to watch all the Marvel movies from beginning to end, but he was watching them in chronological order for some reason. I have no idea why. Like re- not and release he, order, but chronological? Not release order, but chronological order. Because he, he, he liked that. And mind you, he watches half of them while he's on his phone. Like he's not interested at all. But we got to Civil War. And I remember having very heated discussions with my friends about the, who was right and who was wrong in Civil War. And one of the things that I think is really interesting with the metaphor of superpowers is this no idea of registration or um, containment, right? Like, uh, and I've had a lot, I get a lot of pushback from LGBTQ people when I'm like, no, I'm kind of on the side where if you can blow up a mountain with your mind, you can't be trusted to be your own, like, judge and jury, right? Like, and people are like, what? So they, they should go to jail just because they were born? And it's like, that's not what I said. And it's also not a fair read of the metaphor, I the, think, right? Like, there, there's definitely, that's a very Twitter reaction, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so you're just saying they should all just be in, in, in camps? <laughs> it's like, no, man, but if you can shoot a photon beam that'll level a, a school, we right. might want to have to keep track on you. And, and that's part of the payoff here. Right, right. And also, like, because... It's sort of like if you get in a car, there are rules about driving a car, right? Like you can't do certain things and some stuff should be against the law. And I, it was really interesting watching Civil War again because I had the same reaction. I was I had the same reaction to it when I first saw it. And a lot of it had, it was so interesting because it all sort of centered on the, the Scarlet Witch, like accidentally killing people while fighting the bad guy and whatever. And like she, they like say that like 11 people died. Right. And then Cap is like, but we should be the ones that like, no, but I think the objection was in the idea of the United Nations controlling them. I think that was mm-hmm. the parsing of the language. Or a governing body of some, a in some way to, to decide of, who you can save. Right. But at the same time, I was like, I'm supposed to trust you after what the movie just showed us your group can do by accident. Like, I was, it was, it's a really fascinating argument to me about. And, and this is the sort of stuff where I'm not sure how much I love reality creeping into, like, that kind of political reality creeping into superhero stuff, because I don't, it's 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 that sort of deconstruction, I think, makes superheroes not work, right? Like, yeah. Um, 
it's sort of interesting intellectual uh, or, or theorizing, but at some point it just stops being fun. Yeah, there's an interesting part where, like, there, I think there was a chance for Steve Rogers to to sort of shuffle off the Captain America moniker and go nomad in the situation where, like, if he's saying, like, no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be overseen. But meanwhile, you're wearing the flag and your name is America. <laughs> like, there's kind of like you're kind of re- it would be like me running around in, like a Coca-Cola sweatshirt, calling myself Captain Coca-Cola, shooting people in the spine because they're shoplifting and being like, you can't do anything about this Coca-Cola. And it's like, well, they're going to want to. Well, but I thought what was more interesting as, as presented in that movie, again, just watching it. And I love that movie so much. It, it just, it's ridiculous. I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, is how much he comes out. Like when he's like, we should be the ones that, that we should be doing our own oversight. And I'm like, but your best friend was hypnotized by Nazis and did some really terrible things. Do you not think that that could happen to you, right? Or to your team? It was just interesting to me the way it was framed. And the reason I bring this up, I've had really interesting debates with friends, like heated discussions about superpowered registration, like and sh- like what that means, like should, should, should there be oversight on a group like the Avengers? Yeah, uh, and I'm I, of two minds. Like I, 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 I live in the gray for that one. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid that I, I, I live less in the gray than ever before, I think. And a lot of that has to do with drawing them, right? Like, I know part of it has so much to do with knowing what they're physically capable of. That and is knowing, true. And part of it now is having movies that show us the death and destruction they that happens when they show up for whatever reason. Like, imagine, for example, if the Dark Phoenix film, which was uh, objectively bad. Uh, which I've never it, seen it you're doing you're doing great uh imagine though if they brought the scale of the comics dark phoenix saga which includes global genocide right by a character how much that will change the level of conflict and add that sort of level which i think is interesting uh we have uh, diverted slightly but i do want to circle back to another project because uh two years ago when we were talking and i said when is wonder woman the historia uh, coming out and you were like, I'm working on it soon. And you are a liar. Uh, this is, <laughs> it's fine. It, I actually don't mind, but this is one of the most long awaited books in comics. And I, I don't want to say, cause you're writing, uh, Kelly Sudaconic is writing yep. right, and, and you are doing the art. Um, this is one of the most long awaited books to the point where I was, I hang out with Ed Brubaker at comic-con in, in 2019, or something and he's like when is that book coming out like he was imp- he was like tell him i need that book um a lot of people are waiting on that book do we have an eta as to when we're going to see that book i think it's late october ooh okay yeah when was it supposed uh, to be released october- by the way what when was it originally slated to come out it was never slated oh, okay. to be released i i took that job and i told them i turned that job down because and then Kelly Sue called and I was like, I will take this job, but it can have no deadline. You can't talk about it. You can't schedule it until we're done. <laughs> Two weeks later, it's in the Hollywood Reporter, right? And I'm like, great. Uh, because when I took that job, she had not written a word of script. I had done a single piece of art, um, which was the the Wonder Woman promo piece, right? So it's not like we were working on it when the book was announced. We hadn't even started. 
but they wanted, they were hawking Black Label. So we didn't really start for a couple months after that. I think she wrote five pages and I was learning how to work on the iPad. So I used a few months to, to sort of uh, figure out how to make art on an iPad because I want to do this project that way. So, so uh, and then it's been the slow, incredibly slow process. But Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary is in October. My 30th anniversary in comics will be October. Uh, I mean, technically this summer, but my first printed work will be November. So I think they're angling it for that. Oh, a little anniversary. A little anniversary. The- yes. Um, and I've said before, uh, I've, it's easily the best thing I've ever drawn. Um, I think... And I say it's so weird to say that because it sounds obnoxious, but um, I will second it because I've seen a lot of the stuff that you've sent me. You've posted small previews on your social media. Right. You've also sent me very detailed photos. And I will say that this is mind blowing stuff. It's I it's the only way I can justify this length other than, you know. Years of living in Donald Trump's America, um, which really threw me off, which is, you know, luckily I can have the excuse, but um, I want it out. DC wants it out. So I'm just wrapping up the last couple of pages. And a lot of what took so long were design choices. Like the book has been, I, I say has been laid out for a year and a half, but there were like these holes about what things looked like. And I wanted the the work to, to have cohesion. And I argue, I think almost every page has multiple panels of Easter eggs for comic book fans, for mythology fans. Um, and I'm actually just thrilled. There was also, in the sense, a little bit like hyperbole. I don't mean it to be or to sound like that. But the thing that was amazing about working with Kelly Sue is Kelly Sue's now ranks. I got, when she finally turned in that script, because it came in a couple sections, I was, I was awed by it. I learned so much from the way she scripted, which I haven't done I often say that Grant Morrison and Warren Ellis were my two favorite scriptwriters because I felt like I learned the most about writing and about, and also because they knew how to write for me. Um, and I am, as everyone knows, highly idiosyncratic and I'm, I'm not easy to write for. And I like a very specific thing. I'm very hard to place and I'm slow and blah, blah, blah. You're methodical. The, uh, I am methodical, actually. I think about it a lot. Um, which is not good in a, in a medium where you need to turn out stuff monthly. But uh, the script, I was just like, I understood every character at every moment. I got it in ways like where she didn't need to describe things. And we did have conversations about certain characters. I'm like, I know who that is. I know who that is. I know what this emotional beat is. I know what this action is. And it just stuns me how much I got from that script in a way that I had not gotten in years from from working uh, with others. And so part of it was I just kind of wanted to honor that work. Also, Kelly said such a specific point of view on it. I wanted to make sure I nailed it. The other thing was I'm dealing with, I think there's it's 30 Amazons and like 14 gods and then a host of like human characters. There were a lot, there was a large cast of characters and like the gods never, I think Hera has like six or seven costumes and a lot of the gods don't appear the same way twice. 
And so there's, there was a lot of methodology that went into the way each one thought, and I wanted to make sure I represented. And with the, these Amazons, one thing I'm really proud of is the width and breadth of, of female representation. Kelly Sue and I talked about that for a year before we designed these characters, what they would look like, how they would represent their gods and goddesses, how they would represent women in the modern day and the ancient world, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it feels to me like the work will be worth the wait. I hope it is. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. This is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most long-awaited books in, and you're going to hate that I say this, but in the history of the medium, a lot of people have been chomping at the bit for this, and we're really excited to see it come in, and, uh, and I'm really, really stoked about it. Everything I've seen, there's the one, you did one of, it's like a close-up perspective shot of, um, I, I forget who it was, so I don't want to mislabel it, but someone on a horse. And the, oh, the, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and that that piece alone, I was like, I have to get this. Um, yeah. I, I think for, if nothing else, uh, uh, once people have it in their hand, the, 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 the thing. How many pages they, is it, by the way? Uh, it's not that long. How long? You'll see. Oh, oh, it's you're gonna, oh, oh, it's 64. Yeah. Oh, that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good. Uh, that's uh, that's a the, the, three the prestige format books. Proud of. Or, I mean, there's a lot of walk away, but, but comfortable with is that anyone who puts their eight bucks down on this will be able to reread it for years and get something new out of it. Oh, I like, like that. I, I do not think it will be disposable, right? I think people will read it over and over and every panel, of course, because it's, it's chock full, it's me. So it's, it's not an easy breeze. You know, the, the, I think the first 42 pages are all double page spreads, right? So. Oof. Uh, with inset panels and things like that. And then uh, uh, there's, there's just a lot of visual information, but I don't think it doesn't feel to me yet like it's it's overstuffed, but it will make people look and look back again and look back again and look back again. It's just like an and IMAX who, comic. Yes. And for those who choose to invest in it, they will they will find new things, I believe, every on upon every return. Well, I am a uh, not just you're not just my cool friend, but I am a a I am a fan of your work. I I love the stuff that you do. I love when I can be a fan of my friends. So I'm very excited to see this come out. The last question I was going to have, and I know uh, we're going a little bit long, but I don't mind. Uh, I was going to ask you um, because you did these these great covers. You're working on this great interior book. Do you like if you had a preference where you could only do either covers or interiors? What would you pick? <laughs> That's a really hard question because here's the thing: I probably made minimum wage on those interiors. Um, just because the amount of time I've taken with them and the amount of care that I've taken with them. Um, it's it's been a com- completely impractical work choice <laughs> um, because I could have done numerous covers in just a couple of months and made more money than I probably made in the past year on that book. Uh, it should be said also, I wasn't only working on that book. Um, I, was, there was, I was working on a couple of other projects at the same time. Just if people are like, what were you doing all that time? Um, but, uh, it's, that's a really strange question because part of it's just comes down to economics. Like when I'm working on those interiors, I, I get in this zone and I, I think about like, I'm creating this amazing magical world. And when I see these things appear and I see this narrative happen, I'm like, I'm doing this thing that very few people can actually do or have done successfully. 
um, I'm creating movie and TV and all this kind of stuff right here. Uh, and and I, I think that's really amazing. It's just hard. It's a lot of labor. And one thing I talk a lot about, and I would I say this with uh, the work of comedians and entertainers, um, what we do is labor. We're practitioners. And I think a lot about how people think that what we just do is kind of magic. Well, they only see the finished you product. Uh, like you just make jokes. You're not really thinking like, <laughs> especially, right. I'm just thinking like, I think a lot of people don't see what we do as, as actually work or as the result of years of experience doing something, right. It's just this magic thing that appears. And so, so when I say like the, like the history is a labor of love, it truly is. But there was a lot of labor that went into that book, a lot yeah. of physical time that went into that book. And it's just, we don't get, paid well enough and i hate that answer because i used to be one of those people that used to hate when my peers would talk about the the finances of our business in interviews um but i think that's part of it well we do need to eat we it's, do need it's to pretty eat, huge like it's, it's it's absolutely true i just i used to think it was really vulgar and kind of like unseemly like because i i you know because for the most part as a fan i just want i i don't i don't want to know about the finances of creation i just want to know like what were you thinking about what's your influence i would say that the internet has worked its way to find niche appreciation but in general devalue art that yes. every and especially I, i've noticed the younger generation like the zennial generation they have this it's a very sort of communist version of art the memification of art which is like i see a thing i'm just going to share it it's now it's now the thing i shared um, and it's like, yeah, but that's somebody's hard work. That's somebody's intellectual thought. That's and you're not giving them credit. And they're like, well, so what? Like, they don't understand that aspect of it. And it, it is sort of frustrating. Like from a, from my perspective, like, for example, I've had like tweets stolen, my name cropped off and shared by like world star. And I'm like, Hey man, you've got like several million followers. It would cost you nothing to right. not cut my head off. And I said something to them and like, I got so many replies that are like, oh, grow up, bro. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, yeah, but I just got robbed. Like I just, somebody stole my thought and that's my thought. Yeah. I came up with it and it would cost them nothing to give me at least that attention, let alone the fact that I am giving them one of their posts that they will make money off of. Right. right. Uh, and so in that regard, it is very frustrating. Um, um, I just, uh, many years ago, I, oh, I, there's this thing coming out in June again, for, if there are any academic nerds, it's a, it's about, so, so comic scholarship and around universities has really risen the past couple of years. This guy named Ramsey Fawaz who wrote an amazing book about this called the new mutants, which I recommend to everyone. Cause it's like the most readable, most loving sort of exploration of, of, uh, comics primarily through the X-Men, the new mutants. Um, what's it called? Talk, what's talk, it called again? The New Mutants. Oh, just it's only called yeah, but it's a book. It's not the comic. So it's, it's a book. About it's like a it's like a novel looking book, but it's not not fiction. I mean, but like a classic book. Yep. Yep. But it's, it's called it's, The New Mutants, the same way the, the Marvel, yep. the famously like, good Marvel film. Unbelievably. By... Wow, you know, I never saw that either. I tend not to watch things I think are going to make me sad about the source material. It's it's pretty. It's very 20th century Fox X Men, yeah. where you're like, eh. but that cast was mostly good, I think. Right? Looking, I sure. mean, looking, looking. 
No, the cast the, the cast is talented. Yeah. But you know, you can have a bunch of you can have a bunch of of great cooks, but if their ingredients are, I've I've made a lot of shit in my life. But anyway, yeah. um, Ramsey uh, asked me to write the the piece on Wonder Woman, and I was thrilled. So here, this what this book, which is now going to be passed out to colleges and universities, it's it's all these keywords. So it's these pertinent words and phrases that had not been defined in our business. Uh, and I got to write the Wonder Woman one. And so the idea is that comic scholars will now all have, and it's everything from like, what is what is a panel border to who is this character, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's actually really, really cool. And there was a point I was, there was a reason I threw that <laughs> garbage in there. I don't remember what it was, but. I think it's to uh, plug a project that you worked lovingly on, perhaps. I, that could be, and actually one that I know other people worked lovingly on as well oh i know what it was ramsey was saying and he's the one that really hit home because he believes that what we do because he loves comics so much i mean obsessed we will sit in a bar and do nothing but just talk about x-men right like like we're 12 years old it's amazing um but he he's absolutely hardcore about calling us laborers and practitioners and i've actually picked up that language i use his language to describe what we do because artist becomes it's a lovely term clearly but it's it makes us more disposable right like it makes it's it sounds flightier it sounds like oh he's an artist and that that has a connotation but if you say oh he's a laborer like that's a totally different thing um and people see it as work as opposed to art which is just this thing that you make up and yeah, it's something that's yeah. ethereal, something that exists yes, in the yes. ether and and it's just uh, to be consumed at whatever. No, I feel that way. And it's very similar. I think uh, for me to like interview is definitely one of those things that people might not view as a type of labor because they don't see the effort that goes into research and preparing and timing and experience and stuff like that. So I do recognize and appreciate that. Uh, we are coming up. I, I asked for an hour from you and we're coming up on an hour and a half. I do not want to take any more of your time. You're on the Cape in May. You're vaxxed up. You're ready to get some sun. You are vaxxed, right? I've, I've been vaxxed. Okay. I got vaxxed as soon as I could. Same. Yeah. Yes, I got vaxxed in February and I've been waiting for people to get caught up. Shut the f up. I got lucky. Uh, basically, I was at a testing site and uh, they, they were, it was a testing site and it was also an inoculation site. Uh, a vaccine site and they apparently there was through some sort of clerical error they had to burn through a bunch of vaccines real quick um because you know they once you open them the thing or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know the technics of it all i know is that they were like hey if you want a vaccine get your down that hill real quick and you can get one and we'll and you won't have to worry about getting the second one i mean you don't have to amazing. worry about the scheduling for it you just come back so um, i got very lucky I'm thrilled out of my mind to hear that. My uh, j just two quick things. My my boyfriend got vaxxed at a uh, Jacob Javits, and I swear to God, it was an amazing experience. Like the Javits amazing. Center, at the Javits, like Center. New York Comic Con, the Javits Center, New York Comic Con Javits, which Aww. I haven't been since like Comic Con of like a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And so we are there, and it's like a scene out of Twenty Eight Days, Twenty Eight Weeks Later where they're letting everyone back into London, right? So it's like just these lines of, of people with masks and plastic partitions and military, I think, uh, and doctors. and and. But everyone, we were there at 3.30 in the morning. 
with hundreds of other New Yorkers. And the thing that blew me away was what a friendly, pleasant experience it was. So everyone was so good and so nice at 3.30 in the morning. You know why? Because they were getting their lives saved. And there is no better feeling. There's no better euphoria than receiving something that is saving your life. I was right. not prepared for the emotional feelings that I was going to get after I got that shot. I mean, I almost wept in my car. It was like a, it was like, like finding out you had like a birthday party, surprise, surprise party where you're just like overwhelmed with this idea that you're like, holy shit, I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore, which is crazy for me at 39, crazy. at 39 years old to think about, oh, my mortality isn't something that I have to focus on like I did for the past year. Think about the emotional turmoil that has been placed upon human, uh, collectively on humanity of, you know, minus that third, uh, but of like, you know, oh, I could die. I could literally die. And this thing was so random. It was like pe healthy people were like, and then they were ravaged. And then people that weren't healthy were fine. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. It was so arbitrary. So, so arbitrary. Um, I was actually talking about, because when I got vaccinated, it was at Bellevue. Also another amazing experience. The staff, considering like what the infrastructure, uh, I, I've been awed, completely rethinking my life today about by the people who figured this out, right? Who figured out how to turn Jacob Javits into a giant vaccination center for thousands and thousands of New Yorkers and made it work and made it so pleasant and made it so nice at 3.30 in the morning. Or Bellevue, like, who are these, who are the people whose jobs it was to figure out how to get these vaccinations into our arms? And in my case, it was such a pleasant, lovely experience. And the people I spoke to were so great. And our nurses were great. I'm like, this is all they're doing for weeks is just turning people through and getting these vaccines into arms. I, I'm, I was just, I'm in awe of the people that were able to, yeah, I keep calling it infrastructure, but to conceive of and execute these plans to get millions and millions and millions of human beings vaccinated. Like I am in awe of them uh, and very, very grateful. Yeah, it is. It's, there is definitely this sort of like, this real understanding of that natural heroism that a lot of people, you know, people that, that were working at the vaccine sites that were all parts of that, this relatively well-functioning machine to, to save lives. And also the aspect of the people that didn't believe in it, uh, is, is also very infuriating. But that being said, Phil, we've got, um, you, so you've got the book, the new mutants that should be coming out in June, you said. So, so that's Ramsey's book. My yes. book, Historia should be out in October. Um, I was going to say that. Don't worry. Oh, I, no, paid, no, I'm just, I I'm paid just attention because, no. <laughs> because I am old and I'm losing my mind. And so I have to go through it. I literally have to make a list. I'm counting on my fingers. I made a list. I made a list yeah. for you. Okay. So don't, okay. don't, don't worry. There's a list here of stuff that I, that I, I, I have been taking notes on that I can discuss. Um, so <laughs> the, the new mutants book that you are a part of, which I was saying comes out soon. Uh, no, that's the keyword book. New Mutants was the was written by this by my editor on the keywords book. Okay, I was a little bit confused. 
it's fine. Totally got it. Uh, then we also have uh, the LGBTQ uh, covers from Marvel, and those should be releasing, I'm assuming, uh, relatively soon, I would hope. because And like uh, all through June. Yeah, so throughout June, th- during Pride Month, they will be released. Um, so definitely, if you are interested in getting those, make sure you contact your local comic shop and make sure that those variants are pulled, because they are variants, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, they are gorgeous. Uh, definitely. If you are interested in those books, which you should be, uh, let your LCS know, let your comic shop know that you want these and they will do their best to pull them for you. I'm sure. Uh, and then of course, uh, Wonder Woman, the Historia being released in October. Another thing that you better make sure that you, uh, reserve. I have a feeling that this thing is going to sell out of your comic shop. So make sure you pull it. Oh, there's, it's a 0% chance it won't. It's going to be Batman damned without the d***. Uh, the, yes, for those of you wondering what that reference is, uh, a wonderful book by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo <laughs> called Batman damned, the big, the first black label book that was going out, and there was a whole ass hog uh, of Batman. <laughs> so aside from those three projects, are there any other things that you want people that are listening now to um, be on the lookout for? Uh, no, not for me. Uh, that, that I think should be it for the for the year. Um, <laughs> I, everything else I'm working on is is sort of behind the scenes or TV related and will be announced at some point in the future. Perfect. I love that. If you are interested in following Phil on Twitter, he is at Phil Jimenez NYC. Uh, and then on Instagram, I believe it's the same. Is that correct? You, uh, you yeah. love putting that NYC in there. So at Phil it's, Jimenez, that's how you find me. J I M E N E Z. If you are wondering, NYC, uh, is great to follow that. Now, for those of you that are listening for free, uh, thank you so much. You can check me out at patreon.com slash Jeff May, and you can get the episode you just listened to unedited, uncensored, and a week earlier than you listened to it. Um, I always release it on Patreon a week early and there we don't we don't bleep out the swears. We let it we let it ride. This is like the HBO of of long form interview. Uh, you can check me out at Hey There Jeffro uh, on all social media that matter. So Twitter and Instagram only for me. Don't find me on Facebook. I don't use it. And like my mom talks to me on there and I don't want you talking to my mom. Uh, leave my mom alone. My mom's great. I love her. She's a florist. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, what a miserable Mother's Day my mom had because it's, she's a florist and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is there other stuff? You can check out Gamefully Unemployed's Patreon where you can hear Tom and Jeff watch Batman. And of course, you can hear all my wonderful stuff on the Unpopular Opinion Network, such as You Don't Even Like Sports, the Unpop's main podcast, and we just rebooted Listcast. And uh, you can check that at game uh, at uh, patreon.com slash unpops as well. Uh, you are all fantastic. Phil, thank you so much for spending time to talk to me. You are a damn delight. Even though we talked about Legion? Yes, of course. This is the second <laughs> podcast in as many weeks as I've talked about Legion, and I'm here for it. Yes. Uh, uh, you have always been nothing but great to me. You have done nothing but kind to me since I met you. Why wouldn't You're I great. be? I would always be. I mean, you know. I'm just saying it's a uh, it's a lovely thing. I'm grateful for it. And I'm sending gratitude through the airwaves. I appreciate you're, you're, that. You're a lovely person. Well, it, it is returned in kind. I have no reason to be rude to you. I'm like some of the people I've met, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, that's probably, I've probably given you a reason. I just, it's, it's, uh, I'm always eager and happy to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, for those of you listening, Jeff is a really great person. So wow. your support matters. Don't believe his lies, people. Don't put, be- <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you are, of course, a wonderful person. And there's a reason that I treat you in kind because you're great. Well, uh, yeah, stop. Take the compliment. 
I will. Rock Thank you. Up. I am great. <laughs> I am great. Thank you all so much for listening. Appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. Bye. Our artwork is created by Justin T. Brown, who can be found at Artness by Justin Brown on Instagram, as well as artnessbyjustinbrown.com. That dope music you heard is by Troy Nababon, available at Troy Nababon on Instagram, as well as at troynababon.com. Nababon is spelled N-A-B-A-B-A-N, and boy, does that shred. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.